Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com on today's Tour Catch-Up. Ash Barty sizzles in Cincy without dropping a set. Rafa and team call time on 2021. And Sasha Zverev captures his fifth Masters crown. Kim, we are one week closer to the US Open and we've just had our last Masters event before New York, Cincinnati. We have got our two singles champions, Sasha Zverev and Ash Barty, both winning their finals in, let's be honest, quite dominant one-sided fashions. Um, so we're going to be dissecting how all the events unfolded in Cincinnati across the, the men and women's draws. Uh, we're also going to be looking forward to the Labour Cup with the announcement of the Team Europe and Team World teams. And we're also going to be looking at the news that Rafael Nadal and Dominic Team are going to be out for the rest of the season. So let's start with Cincinnati and the Masters 1000 event for the men. Uh, Sasha Zverev, he came, he saw, he conquered. Um, it was a really strong week for him, you know, obviously coming off the back of that Olympic gold medal, you know, that win against Novak Djokovic as well. And he is just playing some really, really lights out tennis at the moment. And against Rublev, it was seriously dominant. It was a final that was, it didn't even go past the hour mark. I think it was one of the quickest since the finals in history, 6-2, And there's not really a lot to say about it because it was just over in a flash. Let's just move on to the women then, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a damp squib, I suppose. It was early breaks in both sets. Uh, Zverev was serving very, very well. I think in the first set, he only dropped three points on his serve. There was little Rublev could really do. And Rublev, you know, we've spoken about this before. When When he comes up against kind of fellow I want to say fellow players in his kind of level but the players are still you know on that kind of higher echelon there's Zverev obviously the big three and and, and such like Sissipas yeah yeah he's still he's still kind of a bit predictable isn't he he doesn't really have the edge and you know he's never beaten Zverev before I don't think he's ever taken a set off him and that did not look like changing um no. you know tonight <laughs> it, no it did not I mean you could have argued I mean his record against Medvedev in the semi-final um, you know, has been it was it was equally terrible, and he was able to come through that. Arguably, with the help of maybe a, an awkward camera on court, which we will get onto. But um, yeah, you do you do still feel with Rublev that I think for me he's almost a little bit of a a, a bully in the sense that he can put away quite comfortably. Um, you know, quite a lot of players on the tour. You know, ranked from you know in in, in the top fifty. Um, you know, he's obviously a great ball striker and that aggression can blow away a lot of a lot of uh you know top ranked players on the court but as you said when he comes up against the the real higher ech- echelons of the game uh you know with the you know the Zverevs and the Sissipasses and the you know and the Medvedevs you know bar the the semi-final he just doesn't really have the, the game yet and he, it feels like the more these players step on court with him they already know what you see is what you get and they can sort their game plan before they go on court. And there's not really any sort of need for adjusting during the match because you just know what he's going to do, you know, from, from the first point to the last. Exactly. He's very consistent, but he doesn't have like as deadly a game as Mm. someone like Zverev, who on his day when he's serving extremely well, you know, can beat anyone. That's what we saw in the final because it was a very dominant performance. You know, he's now on an 11 match win streak, having just won the Olympics. So he'll be going into the US Open with loads of confidence. And obviously, he came so, so close to winning that tournament last year. So, um, 
I've, you know, perhaps the the main contender along with Medvedev and Djokovic for for the title. I think also the semi final against Tsitsipas. Um, you know, he showed a lot of fortitude to come through that one because he was four one down in that third set and and came back to win that on a last set tiebreak. So, you know, apart from that, Zverev was pretty much strolling through the draw, but he did have a battle in that semi final with with Stefanos. That was a really fantastic match, and it's funny that we, you know, we we've spoken you know long long time. I feel now about you know the the Zverev, Sisipas, Medvedev kind of inter rivalry between all of them. But I'm if I'm you know could, I struggle to kind of recall an, like an actual classic match. I think you know between two of them, and for me, this really was the first first match that I can remember that was just such an epic epic match i think we will look back on it at the end of the the 21 2021 season as one of the best and i think you know for zverev it will be one of those remembered for the fact that he he won from 4-1 down in the final set and you know he is a player who uh, over the years has not had the best mental strength and i think Again, this tournament, he just showed that he has come on leaps and bounds in that department. And I really do think that Olympic gold medal, that win over Djokovic, has given him the belief and, and confidence. And I think you know he feels right at home at you know the Masters, the Masters level. This is his fifth crown. I think it's just a question of is he going to be able to carry that belief and that confidence into the Grand Slam arena? Because again, we've seen him in in the Grand Slam arena not do as well as he could. Yes, he got to the, the final of the US Open last year, but I always still feel that he does he is sort of prone to slow starts. I think we saw that at the you know the French Open against Oscar Otter in the, the first round when he was like two sets to love down, you know, in uh in a flash. But um I think I really think at the moment his his mental game, that mental side of his of his uh, play is has come on leaps and bounds and Again, that might be the the thing that he needs in order to win a, a Grand Slam title. Yeah, he's um he's certainly you know doing well. He's he's in a run at the moment on a roll. Um, but like you said, five set tennis very different. We will we will see at the US Open. I'm sure um it may all turn around and first round he might be out and we'll be you know biting our words. But um let's just have a quick word on Sitspass because you know, he didn't have perhaps like, obviously he had a good week getting to the semis, but I feel like he's, his star has fallen somewhat. There's been a bit of debate about his um, comments about the vaccine for COVID, a bit of hypocrisy, perhaps, um, you know, saying that, you know, fans and, and what have you at events, you know, need to be vaccinated to attend. Like that's an expectation, but the players, you know, and Sitspass isn't the only one, quite a few have come out to say that they don't, want to get the vaccine unless it's absolutely necessary for them to do so like the, the, there's a regulation that they would have to have it and um yeah it, it's sort of a bit a bit hypocritical I suppose with the fact that the difference between the players and other groups in society where it is mandatory. Sissipas this week's been a funny one because he's been playing really really good tennis but it feels like the all the kind of conversations about him have been kind of what he's been saying in his his kind of press conferences and you know what he's been doing not necessarily on on his tennis I mean even on the court in that Zverev match he took a a bathroom break that was I think eight minutes long that Zverev definitely was not happy about and again I don't think fans were you know quite a lot of fans saw that and were particularly happy about I mean I know that there was some conversation about whether he was getting coaching uh from his uh dad who was seen on his on his phone that hasn't been proven but you know it's yeah these vaccine comments as as well I just don't think they've helped kind of adhere him to fans and you know of course we understand that everyone has their own point of view and particularly with players there is this air of of reluctance we've seen that with other players but it does feel that Sissipas at the moment is you know yeah I think he could maybe a bit be a bit more selective in, in what he says and then comes out because I feel at the moment that he plays such great tennis and he's such a you know an entertainer on the court but at the same time he uh also is just um he's, he's saying things that are maybe are a little bit putting putting potential fans of him off and he needs to kind of focus on his game because I do think that although Zverev I think has picked up his mental his mental strength in in his in his tennis I wouldn't necessarily say the same of Sisspas and I still feel that he always is clutching defeat from the jaws of victory and 
again, a player of his caliber, kind of in that third set in the semi-final, being a you know a breakup, he would have gone on. He would have expected to go on and win that. And the fact that he he didn't, I think, will be very kind of disappointing to him. And again, it still feels like he has got some sort of fragility about him that regardless of of what the score is in a match whether that's in the masters or in a grand slam it feels like if you're really really good uh you'd be able to kind of exploit it and and leave maybe sister pass kind of ruining his opportunities yeah and another player who's still a bit fragile joel i would say is daniel Medvedev when it comes to losing the plots <laughs> in the course of a match uh, although i would say he's got some some right to be a bit annoyed because uh he was in his semi-final with with Rublev. he um collided with a camera at the back of the court um sort of in the middle of the point and uh like he knocked it right over like it could have been quite a nasty accident to be, to be quite yeah. honest with you i mean you so, said he might have broken his hand yeah, um, I think he was threatening to perhaps sue, um, I don't know, the tournament after that. Uh, but yeah, he then kicked the camera once it had been uh, put back up right again. He sort of karate kicked the lens, um, which <laughs> was a bit, you know, um, that could have caused more of an injury perhaps doing that. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting point because, you know, it's the sort of thing I don't think about like cameras on court until something like this happens, but perhaps they could be better located. Yeah, you just assume it's there and then you're, you can kind of, work that into your kind of movement around the court but you know look kind of looking at the replays I've I've got to I've got to be honest my my kind of take on it is that you know player safety should be above all and that camera just has no reason to be on court personally yes I know it, it probably gives you know the the fans yes it gives us a court level uh view and I know some fans really love that that point of view um I'm you know I'm a, yeah I'm okay with it I you know it's for me, it's not essential viewing, but um, I just think, yeah, it it just had no right to be there, to be honest, and felt, looking at it, just felt like a little bit of an obstacle. And I know other players have, you know, played on that court and probably, you know, obviously not come into contact, uh, you know, having a collision like Medvedev, but um, it just, for me, yeah, I just, I just didn't think it needed to be there. And there's lots of other, I think, places it, it could have been put or could have been managed a little bit better so I wonder I do wonder if we're going to be seeing those sorts of cameras in in Cincinnati in the future because I did think it was a bit of a a bit of a health hazard yeah absolutely I mean it's it's a, you could argue the same with with line judges and all sorts I suppose you mm. know they could collide with a line judge and have a terrible incident I mean you can't remove all risk can you but there certainly True. needs to be a bit um Maybe they can, maybe this is opening up a conversation about where cameras are located. <laughs> but it was, I think it was sort of the week for a bit of aggro because uh, Rublev himself had aggro with Monfils in, mm. um, in their match, which Rublev was basically accusing Gail Monfils of always calling for doctors and trainers. And every time he starts kind of losing, um, you know, he sort of pretends he needs uh, a medical timeout. I do think after the, you know, the era of, of, you know, Rafa and Roger, you know, I think, a lot kind of talk about that rivalry, particularly as, as cementing, you know, the ATP is sort of very nice and very friendly. And I, do, I genuinely do think, you know, this week we have seen quite a bit of aggro. I think, you know, you, you spoke about that, that incident with, with Rublev and Monfils. We saw, we definitely saw aggro between, uh, you know, Sissipas and Zverev. Yes. There were kind of handshakes in the end, but certainly in the heat of the moment, um, it wasn't particularly kind of friendly. Um, and then, yeah, Medvedev and a camera. I mean, Medvedev can just have aggro, I feel like, with anything on court, not necessarily just his opponent, but um, yeah, even in, inanimate objects. But um, yeah, I do, I do think that it, this is going to be a, a character, I think, and an attribute of potentially of the tour to come. And it might, it might be a bit more spicy. It might be a bit more kind of interesting and maybe even a little bit less sedate than what I think maybe we were used to in kind of the, the peak sort of, Rafa and, and Roger era from quite a few years ago. Yeah, I noticed some people are starting refer to refer to the little four, um, which I assume would encompass, I guess, the, the four semi finalists that we had in Cincinnati. But then I, I wonder where does Dominic Team fit into that? I feel like I feel like Dominic Team's kind of is he on his own kind of between the big three and, and the, the little four? Because he's, you know, he's won a slam. And I don't think he would cause any aggro with anyone. I think he's he's a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, it, it's certainly, I think Cincinnati was interesting in the fact that it did feel like all the semi-finalists, it was 
the battle of the young pretenders and that was what made it i think so fascinating and you know it was a little bit surprising because i think we were all sort of expecting medvedev to to come through against uh, to come through against rublev but um yeah it sets it up very very nicely i think for uh, the us open just before we go on to the the women's uh, draw kim let's quickly touch on the men's doubles because we also had Marcel Granolas and Horacio Zabayos uh, win their first Cincinnati crown. They defeated the uh, American Steve Johnson and Austin Krychek, who I'm not going to lie, quite surprised to see them in a Masters 1000 final. But they, hey, they must have been playing really good tennis uh, all week. Uh, but they uh, lost in two quite tight tiebreak sets. So, um, yeah, decent victory there for Granolas and Zabayos. Yeah, exactly. I saw them come so close in that Wimbledon final. Um, so it's nice that they've picked up a Masters title. And Mexic and Pavic also had a bit of a surprise result. You know, they were beaten last week uh, by Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram. But this week they lost to, I think it was Herkash and Sinner. Who then lost to Johnson and Krychek 3-1. and one. So I don't know... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was going on there for for Mektik Chimpavich, Whether that was just a little bit of an off day, but um, yeah, it's 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 uh, yeah, it's all kind of bubbling up nicely. I think in the the men's doubles, there was a there was a couple of great highlights of Steve Johnson. I think walking the tightrope sort of uh, border wall between the fans and the court, uh, making a few kind of smashes, and uh, yeah, I think it was a very very fun and entertaining match. But yeah, Granolas and Zabayas coming out on top. So, Joel, let's move on to the women's event out in Cincinnati, which uh, we had a final this evening between Ash Barty and Jill Teichman, uh, which is quite <laughs> a, a rogue finalist, I think it's fair to say. Where did that come from? She's had the week of her life, it's fair to say, but it wasn't quite enough this evening because Ash Barty, you know, got back to what she has been doing very well so far this year, and that is win. Uh, she's got her fifth title of the season. Straight sets today, 6-3, 6-1. Not particularly competitive. Um, Barty hasn't lost a set this whole week. Uh, she's been sort of flying through the draw and is, you know, completely the world number one that she is. Um, she continues to go from, well, she continues to impress, uh, let's just say that much. But, I mean, what did you make of, of the actual final in itself? Because it was probably the most... Well, I def- definitely not most exciting match of the week. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite uh, straightforward for Ash Barty. I think, you know, the first six games or so went, uh, you know, without sort of danger. It was three all. But from that point on, you know, Barty, we know she's an incredible kind of thinker on the court. I think she very much uh, got used to Jill Titan's game very quickly and knew kind of what to, you know, what to do, what buttons to press. And she just kind of steamrolled from then on winning 6-3, 6-1. Um, I don't know if, if Tightman, she looked a little bit hampered by her foot as well. Um, I know she's had some, I think, trouble with her, her ankles and some strapping was applied in that second set. But to be honest, I don't think it was making a difference. And this week, Ash Barty has been very, very impressive. And I think what's been so impressive about it is, as you said, she had that little blip, I think, at you know the Olympics where we were sort of expecting her to, uh, you know, potentially win come out with a, a gold medal for Australia in the singles. Yes, she did come out with a, a bronze medal in the in the mixed doubles, but she lost to Sara Cerebes Tormo in her first match and we wondered uh you know that was uh, almost kind of caught us off guard. But I think with Cincinnati she has really kind of shown that she's back to back to winning ways. Very, very I mean she's in her the most clinical clinical mode I think at the moment. And although you know, it was, I think, surprising to see from a you know, British perspective, Heather Watson almost give her the most challenging match of the week. The fact that I think that was first up maybe you know, has something to do with that. But she really is, I think, at the moment, installing herself as the out-and-out favourite for the title in, at the US Open. Yeah, I mean, she steamrolled her way past uh, Victoria Azarenka you know, <laughs> I, I for the know. loss of just new games, which doesn't happen too often. Oh, my... I was crying into my pillow when I was, I was seeing that. It was a scoreline no no one was expecting no absolutely and then she kind of came through comfortably against Krachikova as well um and also Angelique Kerber so like all these informed players who have had good seasons themselves uh especially of late and Barty just you know making mincemeat off them and if you look at her stats for this this season Joel 2021 and, and let's not forget she's she's living out of a suitcase she's away from home for a long long time and she's you know, dedicating herself to being on tour this season and not having that chance to go back to Australia because of all the 
restrictions and it's you know it's a big sacrifice and the fact that she's essentially got five titles um and six finals overall from from 12 events that's that's a pretty decent you know conversion ratio obviously you take that yeah exactly i mean what i think is even more remarkable um her winning ratio against like top tenors as well she's only lost one match against another top 10 player this year so she's not just winning titles you know win sort of arguably like budget questionable draws she is winning the big events against top players and she's just proving that she is absolutely where she belongs right up there and you know it's it's not often you see players put together such a kind of comprehensive year and definitely going into the US Open you've got to say she is hands down the favourite um I'm sure Osaka might try and have words to say about that but we'll get on to her a bit later because um she had a you know bit of an upset this tournament yeah, it was really, I mean, both Barty and Osaka coming back for this tournament, they both didn't play in the, the Rogers Cup and they really both had kind of contrasting fortunes. And I think with Barty, again, we talk about her variety and the fact that you know she is, at the moment, she is the complete player. Any Any sort of player that she comes up against, she's got answers for. And I think that's one of the reasons her record against kind of the top 10 players is so good. And it doesn't matter kind of what type of player you are, whether you're a counterpuncher, wherever you're kind of an all-out aggressive sort of player, Ash Barty kind of has the answers. And although I think Jill Teitman played in a plays in a similar sort of way, I know she's obviously a lefty, but again, I think has that that variety. The fact that Barty is able to she you know able to win points from the back of the court, you know, hit ground stroke winners, but then she can also come to the net and, and finish off points at the net. Uh, she's got a serve as well that I think is very deceptive. It, it earns her a lot of free points. Um, you know, I think she served 12 aces against a Kerber in the, in the semi-final. So it, it's very hard at the moment, I think, to see any sort of chink in the armour from Ash Barty. And I think that's going to be a big worry to, to all of her opponents because I think the way she is playing... It feels like the US Open coming up. It feels like it's hers to lose. It feels like if Ash Barty plays the tennis she was playing this week in Cincinnati, it's going to be very hard for anyone to beat her. And it it might be a question of, it just might come down to just being a question of whether Ash Barty's level drops. And I don't want to think, I, I have no reason to think, you know, she's peaked too early with, you know, the way she's playing in, in Cincinnati, given, you know, she's shown this former across the, the whole year, more or less. But um, I think that's the that's the question. I think the, the women's locker room will sort of be hoping that her level does drop it because at the moment it is it is streets ahead of, of anyone else, let's be honest. Yeah, she's overall, like this whole year, she's been the most consistent and she is, mm. I think, the most complete player. She doesn't have any obvious weaknesses. So there's not really too much you can kind of exploit, I suppose, as, as a like, really standout weakness no. in her game, which makes her very steadfast and able to, you know, come through. I wonder if, uh, oh, yeah, the locker room are going to be sort of chatting to Heather Watson, I think, this week uh, about, yeah, what you know what it was that she, she did that kind of made it so difficult for, for Barty. And yeah, I think there was a bit of, bit of signs of, of rust there. But yeah, Heather was really the only player who was able to be competitive with Barty across two sets, two really tight sets as well. And it was, I think it was great to see. I, you know, I know it was obviously a loss for, for Heather. And I think to look at that on paper, yeah, she might be disappointed. But I think if, you, if we're being honest, the way she played, I think she's in really good form at the moment. She came through qualifying and, you know, to get to second round, lose to Ash Barty, uh, you know, in the manner that she did, I think that was very, very impressive performance from her. But as you said, the fact that Ash Barty then went on and beat Azarenka, love and two, and then also Kretschikova, who's also been having a great season, Kerber in the semifinals. I, I love seeing Kerber in the semifinals. I feel like she's back playing sort of top 20 tennis back you know with the tennis that we saw her you know from a few seasons ago but yeah Ash Barty just just she just has all the answers at the moment yeah and you mentioned Heather Watson Joe Conta also came very close in her first match against mm. Mukova um you know it was second set tiebreak and then it kind of switched around so it was good to see Joe kind of doing well in that match but frustrating she you know lost out in a sort of tight three setter but um let's just have a word on Jill Teichman because you know don't think many people expected her to be in the final she I think previously you know has, has got to finals but never anything higher than a 250 so this was obviously a massive step up and she started 
this week, ranked 75 in the world. She's now up to 44 in the world. So uh, definitely going in the right direction. And she had three fantastic wins this week against Osaka, her fellow countrywoman, Benchich, and Karolina Pliskova. So, you know, going another step further and beating Barty in the final was probably a little bit too much. But, I mean, the way she played against Pliskova and, you know, was able to deal with that Pliskova serve, which, you know, she was saying after the match is an absolute beast and you know she was kind of <laughs> saying Pliskova is you know like the the ace queen like she's so difficult to um to play against but she was able to handle that with ease and, and came through in straight sense over Benchich and I guess that the win that really caught everyone's eye was that win over Osaka, Osaka um, yeah. from a set down three six six three six three um I mean what did you make of of that match because it's I don't you know think that I don't think when we went to bed, you know, and then we woke up in the morning, we were expecting no. to, that was kind of a like WTF, you know, school line, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was very, very, very surprising. I think we were sort of expecting, yeah, okay, Benchich Osaka, Benchich, the Olympic gold medalist riding on a high with lots of confidence. We were, I think we were sort of expecting that Swiss player to cause maybe more problems than, than Jill Teitman, who, who, lest we forget, is in was in Cincinnati on a wild card, but... Yeah, she's just been playing great tennis all week. It certainly, I think, was a uh, you know a, a week she will remember. This was this was the first time I think where she was really able to um, you know put it all together. And she's been playing very good tennis. I think you know this season. I think her momentum. I think was stopped earlier on by injury. I think she got to you know the semifinals in in Dubai um, at a, a one thousand level. So that was you know that was i think a sign that you know she is having a sort you know was showing that i think she was potentially going to have a breakout season this year and you know with this tournament i think she's well and truly proved that and it's it, yeah it isn't going to be a very tall order to beat Osaka and Barty you know the two top women's players in the world in the same tournament i mean that would have been that would have been something but you know maybe you know we saw Camilla Georgie last week you know, go all the way and, and win, uh, you know, the Rogers Cup uh, seemingly from out of nowhere. And it's 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 very surprising. Yeah. Or, you know, or maybe it's not surprising. It's just but it was definitely a breath of fresh air, I think, to see a wild card kind of come in, come through the draw and, and take out all of these really, really, really big names. And she just was not phased, I think, by the occasion, you know, playing Osaka, playing Benchich, you know, in, in an all Swiss all Swiss uh, matchup as well. Yeah, again, she just had the answers that I think came from her forehand particularly. She hit a lot of, you know, winners. She kept her unforced error count down. It was very, it was very, very good to see. Yeah, she's actually, until today, not actually lost a match this season against top 10 players. So, mm. you know, just proves that when she is up is for, the, for the big yeah. occasion, she's when she's on, she's on. Yeah, which, you know, might sound obvious, but yeah, she's had quite an injury plagued season. She couldn't play the French Open, which was a shame because last year she, I think, won like two clay clay events. So she would have probably been thinking, oh, clay is maybe my my best surface. I would have had a, a good chance at the French to go deep, but obviously injury forced her out. So um, trying to make a bit of a run maybe on the hard courts. I think she actually got to the Lexington final last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. quite randomly which we forget because I think that tournament was sort of a new tournament for last year wasn't it so I mean Kim that was all around the time we, when we whenever we were talking about Jill Tightman she kept losing to Coco Goff it seemed they kept I playing think. each other they were drawing <laughs> each other in like I every know. every draw um, and actually they would have played each other if Goff had beaten Osaka in, in Cincy <laughs> this week so very true the draw gods are there. <laughs> yeah, we could have we could have had that rematch, but uh, yeah, it's been very pleasing to see. I think you know this performance from Jill Teitman because there have been other Swiss players I think this season who have you know written the headlines. You know, for example, as I said, Belinda Bencic in the Olympics, winning the you know the gold medal uh, in the singles. She got the silver medal as well in the I think in the ladies doubles. Uh, Goljevic as well uh, at Wimbledon uh, got to the the quarterfinals. Another very good. Uh, um, kind of Swiss player, very good Swiss outing there. So, you know, maybe she was also thinking, you know, my my fellow country women are, are kind of <laughs> getting all the headlines and I need to kind of make a name for myself. And, you know, that was a real, I think, statement win against Ben Chich, a player who, again, was in some really good form, uh, really confident, you know, in the mood. And she just, she just swept her away. And uh, again, it was a very, very, very assured performance. And she carried all... She carried that all the way through to the final. 
So Switzerland having a great time on the WTA Tour at the moment, Joel, uh, but also Australia as well with, with Ash Barty. Uh, but also uh, one of your favourites, I, well, I think she's one of your favourites, Joel. You're always a bit begrudging towards this person. And that is Sam Stoza, who with uh, Zhang Shui won um, the Cincinnati doubles title, beating friend of the podcast, Gabby Dabrowski and Louisa Stefani in straight sets. So obviously Sam Stoza, she's, she's doing amazingly still in doubles. It's just you begrudge her getting those singles wildcards don't you Joel? Oh exactly I'm I'm caveating that with begrudging her the wildcards in the singles but yeah great to see her doing so well in the doubles I think she has obviously still has some real weapons on her in her kind of toolbox of shots particularly I think on on the forehand side and uh, yeah she's obviously kind of still a threat you know she's obviously got good memories I think of playing on American hard courts from from yesteryear and it's great to see her still winning Gabby Dabrowski as well and um, you know her partner as well are having a very, very good time of it at the moment. I actually thought going into the tournament, I thought Krejcikova and Sinyakova were the team to beat. I actually thought they were going to kind of go and walk through the competition. I don't know if they were sort of impacted by Krejcikova's run, um, you know, in the singles. But um, yeah, it was very impressive nonetheless from Sam Stoza all the way to the all the way to the final. I mean, she's played a lot of tennis, a lot of experience there. So yeah, it was really great to see. I think actually it's been 10 years this year since Stoza won yeah. the US Open title. So perhaps we may have another Australian winning <laughs> 10 years on. But um, let's just reflect on another thing that happened this week in Cincinnati that kind of caught headlines you know on tennis Twitter and and also in in you know mainstream media elsewhere and and that's Naomi Osaka who uh, was back in the press room doing a press conference uh, after all of the hoo-ha at the French Open when you know she said she wasn't going to be doing press and then subsequently withdrew from the tournament and we haven't really seen her uh, back in the press room that much since Um, and she was asked a question that was a bit uncomfortable because she became quite upset um, trying to answer it. And it was just, it was really awkward watching it, Joel, wasn't it? It wasn't pleasant. Um, essentially what happened was there, there was a local reporter. So not someone who I think who normally covers the tennis, but a local reporter who asked her a question about the fact that, you know, how does Osaka balance the fact that she's, you know, using um, a a media platform like Twitter and has a lot of like interests that, you know, are served by by using the media um, to get her kind of advocacy across. But also the fact that she's not enjoying um, doing press conferences and and doing kind of communicating with the media in this format. How does she kind of balance the two? I think his, his explicit phrase was, you know, you're not crazy about dealing with us and us meaning, you know, the media. And yeah, Asaka took ages to respond. Um, she asked him to say the question again, and then she did eventually respond mm. and then kind of broke down and had to leave before she came back. But I mean, what did you make of of the question? What did you make of her response? What do we make of her, like, where she's Being at? Big impressed conferences, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was a, I mean, personally kind of looking at the the video and, and this is, if you haven't had a chance, uh, you can just go on YouTube and, and search Naomi Osaka press conference. I'm sure you'll be able to find it and make a call for yourself. But, uh, you know, my kind of take on it was, I think this was a perfectly valid question. Um, I don't think this was necessarily, I think there were some reports kind of talking about this being uh, asked in a quite intimidating, arguably aggressive tone. I don't think that was the case uh, I think it was quite straight in, in how it was asked um, and I think it was I think it was an appropriate question as well I know it nece- I'm not I'm not saying it was it doesn't obviously necessarily uh, link to tennis performance and the match and the results etc but having said that uh, you know if Osaka is you know using you know talking about Haiti you know she's obviously talked about advocating Black Lives Matter um, you know in the past and I, su- I think there was an appropriate an appropriateness there with the question despite not necessarily be kind of performance related but um, yeah uh, for me uh, it was I think for me it goes a bit deeper than the, the question and I think the question for the, I was coming out of saying was, is, is Osaka ready yet to to be in this environment of, of press conferences? I don't think, you know, I don't think she's going to be able to kind of be selective about what questions she can and, and cannot, can and cannot answer. And yes, in, you know, she might get more friendly questions from tennis journalists because, you know, they might not want to burn bridges with player relationships, et cetera. And maybe, uh, 
uh, non-tennis uh, journalists and, and media, maybe like local reporters, for example, can be a bit more sort of uh, maybe on the nose. And, and maybe there was should have been a bit more sensitivity there. But um, yeah, it just felt like she sort of unraveled a little bit with her, her answer because it wasn't an immediate reaction. And it, it just sort of screamed to me is of, is she ready to be back in this environment? And my gut answer at the moment is still no. And whether for me that leads to a debate on, you know, can she play a tennis and not maybe be put in these situations? Or maybe it needs to be more gradual than it is at the moment because it feels like this happened and there were tennis media asking tennis appropriate questions. And then we had maybe kind of non-tennis like local media asking other questions. And that got a bit too much for her. It, I got the got the impression with. Yeah, I don't know why she seemed so surprised to have been asked that question, because it's, mm. again, I agree, it seems like a perfectly valid question to ask. And the way she reacted, it was almost as if she was a bit shocked that that had been asked. And I, I think, you know, you, you can't censor to to you know every you can't censor exactly what's asked of you in a press conference yes there needs to be kind of realistic boundaries and I I do think perhaps you know as she's kind of coming back onto the tour and coming back into the press room there needs to be a bit more sensitivity but like long term you can't kind of you can't avoid someone asking about your use of media or what you're putting out on Twitter or what you're you know how you're you know she it was a big thing back in May so to come back onto the tour and and be back doing press conferences it's surely it's obvious that someone would ask that at some point but yeah I, I feel like she's she's not ready yet she seems quite fragile and perhaps you know now we've got this question out of the way like it will be fine going forwards but it's a shame it was really uncomfortable to watch I have to say it wasn't nice to see and I don't want to see if that's what's going to happen again which you know I don't think anyone wants then don't give her this or don't put her in this spotlight at the you know at the moment wait until you know wait until she's ready um you know I think just kind of focusing back on the tennis because you know I think it's quite clear to see with Osaka and, and the way she's playing at the moment she needs match practice um you know she's not played a lot of tennis uh because of you know the situation that she's been in yes she played the Olympics she didn't play the Rogers Cup she came back here um you know she did have a good win I think against Coco Goff but to lose to, to Jill Teitman, she's not had a lot of practicing going into going into Flushing Meadow, the US Open. Um, she's not going to be playing next week, so you know we know she's got it capable in her in her locker, and and I think there will be kind of questions of can she is she going to be able to discover that form in in New York and maybe probably play her way into into the tournament because I don't feel like it's not an Ash Barty situation where she's going to be going in kind of full of confidence we know how dominant she has been on on hard courts particularly on uh, hard court slams over the last few seasons but there still feels like there's a, a lot of work to do there and maybe arguably at the moment these press conferences are a little bit of a distraction yeah and I'm just thinking last year you know we had zero crowds at the US Open whereas this year it's going to be very different it's going to be back to you know loud and boisterous you know at stadiums and perhaps if she's feeling a bit fragile still that that's not going to be the best thing for her but I mean Naomi Osaka on court is I think very different to Naomi Osaka in a press conference and like you said she's a four-time slam champion so I don't did I don't think that it, you know she, I don't doubt that she could pull out of the bag and we could see a very different Osaka but I have lo- a lot less confidence compared to say this time last year um so yeah we, we'll see how it progresses with her uh, her and the media um but let's just round up Joel some of the other kind of uh stories from this week on the WTA tour because we had an event out in Chicago a one two five event which um was very exciting for British fans because we had Emma Raducanu in action and she only just um, lost out in the final today against uh, Clara Torson. It was, um, I think, 6-4 in the third set. Um, Emma lost. But, you know, she's had an absolutely remarkable week, um, you know, coming through against much higher ranked players and, and just getting the wins, you know, in consistency and getting to a final of a WTA event is fantastic. It's very, very promising stuff, particularly, you know, she was playing in Landisville as well last week. She retired, uh, you know, from there. I think quite a few players did because it was really brutal conditions. But to see her bounce back, play this event, take out the top seed, Alison van Utvank, um, in the first round uh, was very, very impressive. 
that opponent is a very solid tour player um you know would you expect to see in sort of 250 level um events and the way you know the manner she she took her out was very impressive and then she went all the way through to the final i know she probably would have been disappointed she was i think a break up in that and in that third set but it is really really encouraging uh to see you know how well i think she is acclimatizing to all of this um you know to this spotlight that is being put on her i'm hoping she's going to get some more wild cards into potentially kind of 250s i think she's now into the top 150 she's there or thereabouts around harriet dart so um yeah hopefully those two players can sort of spur each other on and, and go higher up the rankings but kim i would not be surprised if if by the end of the season radikanu is is there or thereabouts around uh, 100 if not even breaking into the the top 100 that would be amazing. And yeah. yeah, she's certainly going in the right direction. What there's still a good couple of months of the season left. So praying, praying she stays fit and healthy. I think that's certainly achievable. Um, but yeah, okay, we're going to take a quick break now, everyone, but do join us in the second half. We're going to be talking about team and Rafa ending their seasons early. Uh, the picks for team Europe and team world in this year's Labour Cup and also looking ahead to the final round of tournaments before the US Open, including Winston Salem and Chicago. So do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half of the show, which, as usual, means a bit of fun and games to begin with. And I've got a mysterious player up my sleeve for you, Joel. Here we go. And for all our listeners who will hopefully be playing along as well. Um, so are you ready, Joel, to uh, to commence the, the mystery? Yes, because the la- last mysterious player we had was Christina Mladenovic. Now, Kim, just just before we get on to that, because I, when I was doing my research on Jill Teitman, I loved on her Wikipedia page, it said Jill Teitman speaks five languages only five well i know i was like i was like yeah well that's nothing yeah (laughs) yeah that's nothing compared to mazenovic it was it was so funny because in the the final today she said she said come on in about four different languages she said it in french she said it in german she said it in english it was just she was just really sort of uh yeah she was really uh showing off uh her you know the number of languages which which made me think i want i want mladenovic i want to see how many different times or different ways she could say come on in, in one match. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> one for every point and then you'd have to... Well, I mean, yeah. How many languages are there in the world? <laughs> could you get through a whole match where you said a different come on? I'm expecting 26 different come ons next time Nadenovic yeah. plays. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I could do that in more than like three languages. But anyway, I will. Oh, maybe I'll include a language clue for today's mysterious oh, okay. player. Um, let's start, as always, with the date of birth. Um, so, <laughs> clue number one: I was born on the twenty third of April, nineteen eighty three. Oh, okay, eighty three, ninety three, oh three, thirteen. Okay, so they're going to be close to forty. I've already, I've already got someone i feel like it could be this person oh okay well I, I do you that, say that might be a bit that might be a bit bold <laughs> is it sam stoza <laughs> you're obsessed with her no it is not sam stoza <laughs> i thought that was a good shout but okay okay um i retired in 2017 recently retired oh i wonder if they've have they become a coach or have they gone into punditry um Tommy Robredo. No, he hasn't actually retired, has he? Yes, I was going to say, oh, I think he's still playing, <laughs> isn't he? Oh, God. He is. He's still there or thereabouts somewhere on tour, on a clay court in the depths of Spain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have won seven career singles titles. I know this is not right because I think he's retiring after US Open. Uh, Victor Troitsky. <laughs> incorrect <laughs> we saw him play at queen's show <laughs> how does that equate oh, to retiring I was four years ago? i was rushing i was rushing <laughs> oh okay right um my highest ranking was number five in the world in singles and that was in 2003 number five in the world and he only retired in 2017 that is a long that is a long career makes me think it could be 
A woman. Um, Vera's Von Raver? <laughs> Incorrect. And she hasn't retired. She got to a final recently, didn't she? Somewhere, I think. Oh, yeah, no, that probably sounds about yeah. right. Okay, next clue. I have won the career Grand Slam in mixed doubles. Oh, okay. I mean, you're really testing me here. Mixed doubles knowledge. God. Um, From the early <laughs> noughties. <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> oh, this is only going one way. Um, it's all right. The clues get easier in shortly after. Lucy Safarova. That's a good shout, but it's not. Um, <sighs> okay, I'm giving you the language clue now. I think this okay. will help a lot of our listeners if uh, they're stuck. I speak fluent Slovak, Czech, English and German, as well as some Croatian and Italian. Thinking they might be a Czech player, um, but I can't think of that many. So, <laughs> uh, What were the languages again? I speak fluent Slovak, Czech, English and German, as well as some Croatian and Italian. Francesca Schiavoni. <laughs> No, I mean, she is Italian, so why would she only speak some Italian? I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Um, I live in Monte Carlo, um, but I'm more commonly seen on everyone's televisions, and you probably would have seen me this evening uh, before you tuned in to watch the Cincinnati Masters. Okay. Oh, that's so much. That's such I'm just a relief. The game away now. That is such a relief. Now I feel like it's going to be a relief as well to our our listeners. Is it Daniela Hanchakova? Yes, it is. Well done. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I was sweating there, Kim. I thought we were going to go through all your clues, and I wasn't going to get it, but. Well, I had more clues up my sleeve, but I thought we might be here all night. I yeah. had the fact that um, apparently she trained as a classical pianist. So, oh, really? You know, okay. I know. Didn't know that. Um, and obviously, there was, I was going to sort of start venturing into some of the sort of more famous matches that she had. I always remember that one against Serena Williams, um, where was it Hanchakova was, was injured or Serena was injured? I mean, this was probably back in like 2006, 2007. I just remember it being quite dramatic on court. I didn't realise she was such a good mixed doubles player. I only associate her as a singles player, but okay. Well, I thought she'd won. Um, uh, sorry, I thought she'd won women women's like ladies doubles at slams, but she never actually won the ladies doubles. But she won all the mixed. So um, yeah, very very competent uh, doubles player as well. Um, but well done, Joel. I hope all the listeners got uh, Daniela Hantikova eventually as well. <laughs> yeah, probably probably a lot better than I did. Um, but yes, uh, listeners, let's move on. We've got passing shot mailbag time, and we've got another question. Jane uh, got in touch with us on Twitter uh, and her question, Kim, this amused me. Her question was, after the seemingly infinite number <laughs> of wildcards handed to players like Petros Sissipas, Leo Borg and Sam Stozer, which player would you hand infinite wildcards to if you could as a guilty pleasure? Oh, um, oh, well... Oh, I'm just trying to think because I think most of the players <laughs> I tend to support probably won't need a wild card. But um, I would say Dennis Istomin because he's his rankings really dropped, and I think he deserves to be right up there. You want and to see so the glasses I, back on the back? On I the do. I've always been a big big fan of Dennis. Um, but perhaps on the women's side, um, someone like oh, I don't know if she's still playing. Cause she, if she is playing, she'd be quite old now. But Kamiko Date Krum, I feel like if she was still you know, there or thereabouts, I think giving her a wild card. Because I think when I saw her play probably about 10 years ago, she was about 40. So, okay, she'd be getting on a bit now. But I feel like she'd be quite fun to give a wild card to. Oh, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I have gone for, I mean, my obviously my first uh, instinct was to go to Malek Yaziri, my favourite ever Tunisian tennis player, um, of course. Um, but I've also put, Jack Sock. Um, I feel like his ranking is always so far below the level or ability he can show on a tennis court, like he showed against 
Rafa in in Washington. Oh, yes, indeed, um, indeed. So I, you know, I I want to give you know I want to give Jack Sock his due and just hand him out just wild cards so he can just he can just go on the tour and do a bit of a Benoit pair and just you know, play tournament to tournament and not just 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 see how it goes because he's a player I think yeah he was he was quality you know for you know he was quality of you know back in his his peak and uh yeah i'd love <laughs> just love to see that uh you know him, him him back there and just yeah just his massive forehand just you know producing winners but no doubt lots of unforced errors as well i would also say tommy robredo now we've just mentioned him because oh, okay. he, he could probably do with a few wild cards yeah, and true. Yeah. All, always big big fan of him on a court so yeah i i'd, I'd you know, or maybe if, if Carlos Moyer wanted to suddenly come out of retirement, I'd uh, I'd save it for like Spaniards who are, you know, on their way out <laughs> and need a bit of a, a, you know, need a bit of help. Um, <laughs> talking of Spaniards, Joel, uh, and Spaniards who are not playing tennis at the moment. And sadly, Rafa is not uh, able to play at the moment. He has decided to end his season this year because of this um, annoying foot injury, which... Uh, you know, caused him to miss Cincinnati, caused him to miss um, Toronto Rogers last Cup. week. Yep. yep. And, you know, seemingly this has been going on for a while now, um, I think about a year. And this is the same issue that he had when, when he was younger. and He's sort of always been managing to some extent, um, but he needs to give it, you know, a lot of time to to rest and to recover. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, he's not able to defend his US Open title, like for the second year in a row. And, you know, we won't be seeing him, you know, it's a big, big, um, big gaping hole in the tour. We obviously have had the news that Federer's out of surgery as well. Um, and also another bit of news this week, Dominic Team is, is joining them um, and also taking the rest of the um, the year off, essentially. Yeah, it's really disappointing, I think, you know, two, two really, really big players, big personalities on the tour, Nadal, Dominic team as well. I can't say it's been a total shock. You know, we've seen, I think over the last week or so, that it was almost kind of writings on the wall, I think, for Nadal when you know, he took that flight back to, to Spain and to assess kind of his situation. Doesn't make it any 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 less sad. And it we're in a situation now where the US Open is not going to have two of its, you know, biggest biggest contenders. And and with Dominic team, I feel like that is particularly sad because he will not be able to defend his you know his grand sam title we have been in this situation this season we saw that with you know simona halep at, at wimbledon and um you know it's not a situation i think we we like to see and given i think how much is riding on the uh you know the us open with djokovic and the you know the potentially the the career slam on the line you know as a fan i would like to see as many kind of of the big names there as possible. We're going to have none of Nadal team. Federer is not going to be there as well to have them not there. It feels like, it feels like at the moment it's a little bit, maybe it's, maybe this is a bit unfair to the likes of, of Sissipas and and Medvedev and and Zverev. Um, It feels like at the moment is a little bit, does it feel a little bit processional for, for Djokovic and maybe you want it to feel maybe a little bit more competitive, but who knows It, it makes it, I guess it makes it interesting in, that respect given that Djokovic is going to be the only representative of the big three but yeah at the moment the sort of I think gut reaction is that it's not uh yeah it's not a situation I don't think anyone wanted wanted to have really yeah I mean Novak shouldn't be too um complacent because I'm sure you know the the chasing pack will be after him but Mm. it does it does bode well for for Djokovic doesn't it having you know both Rafa and team and, and also Federer out so it's a big blow for those guys. But I think like like Dominic team, you know, for him, you know, he said he's got a long career ahead of him. It's important not to take risks and rush back. So I think they're all yeah. doing what's what's right for them and their personal situations. It will be interesting, I think, to see how Dominic team comes back because this is a wrist injury. And I think that the worst thing about this was the fact that you know, there was optimism, I think, you know, a few weeks ago. We saw videos on on his uh, social media of him, you know, hitting a ball again. And it, I think it will be fascinating to see if he's ha- he's going to have to adapt his playing style, um, you know, how he hits forehands and, and backhands, because it sounds like, you know, obviously we know the, you know, the amount of work, the amount of spin he kind of puts on the ball and feels like maybe that has impacted the, you know, the stress, you know, on his, on his wrist, um, you know, over time and, and, 
you know they're going to maybe need to look at that and figure out how they can alleviate it but yeah it was i think a, it was quite sad to see i think you know there was that optimism and it was like oh hey dominic team he's getting back and hey he might he might come back and um give a crack at um you know defending his, his us open title but to go from that you know within you know the matter of, of weeks to hey guys and pulling out and hope to see you in in 2022 yeah it leaves a bit of a, a sour taste in the mouth it does and uh those guys are also not taking part in the labor cup joel which is happening mm. after the us open in boston um we've had the lineups announced so we've got uh team europe is uh very exciting still. Medvedev, Sitspas, um, Rublev, Berrettini, Kasper Ruud, and also Zverev. Um, and then obviously we've got Team World, which I bet you'll be loving this because we've got Nick Kyrgios, uh, <laughs> Denis Shapovalov, Felix Ojealiasim, um, Diego Schwartzman, uh, Riley Apelka, and also John Isner. So, um, you know, no yeah, you're victory. just clamoring. You're just <laughs> clamoring for an Opelka Isner doubles, oh, doubles pairing, aren't god. you? Oh god. Um, <laughs> sorry, I should sound a bit more enthusiastic about that. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Casper Ruud and FAA go head to head. Um, and I mean, I don't know who's going to win that one. I'd say Europe uh, overall have the the higher ranked players and, and the most. But it is in Boston. Um, it is in Boston. So that is true. I'll, that is true. I do think, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating. You've got, I think, on paper, obviously Europe have a strong a stronger team. I also have they have the more informed players as well. For example, I've you know Shapovalov. I don't think is he's not in the right form at the moment. I think he you know he did he's done very did very well on the on the grass courts, but he's not quite found his gear yet. I think um you know in uh in Cincinnati as well as you know last week in the, in the Rogers Cup. So yeah, it feels like Europe are the favourites. But having said that, um Isner Isner's gonna Isner's in form at the moment. You can't just you can't discount Opelka, especially if we're going to be on our indoor indoor fast court that is just gonna play into the hands of the the big servers in in Kyrgios Apelka Isner uh I mean in terms of my what I'm looking forward to Kim obviously Nick Kyrgios Casper Ruud uh that Twitter beef it's gonna be decided mm. isn't it aggro aggro there's gonna be a fantastic there's a fantastic backdrop there and I think it will be quite interesting because you know up to this moment the Labour Cup has been very portrayed as very kind of pristine and you know no one getting angry i think and i think there's there there is now i think going to be an edge there there's no big three involved and there's no kind of i don't think federer might be there in some sort of capacity i'm not quite sure on that but on the court uh he obviously won't be there and in a playing capacity and that might just i think you know, it's his baby. He's not there. Could that just you know mean that these players feel like they're gonna you know be a bit more unhinged, a bit more unfiltered? And I think that could maybe lead to some real. It could really lead to a really feisty and captivating tie. And I think Kyrgios Rude. I mean, that match just has to happen, and maybe that should be the opening match because that could really ignite. I think the the tie. Yeah, my overwhelming memory of the last Labour Cup was Roger and Rafa, you know, cheering on and yeah, exactly. And kind of exactly. From I the think it's going to be the complete opposite. I think it's going to be I the think complete opposite. Is it going to be carnage? I'm not, I wouldn't even be surprised if there's like in in team squabbling, particularly between you know Medvedev, Sissipas, Zverev. You know, we saw we've seen this week in uh, Cincinnati. There's there's been heated you know on court debates there yes it's all been all it's all been smiles and handshakes in the end but you know in the moment it's been you know quite fiery at times and you know with Rublev as well you know I'll be interesting to see how you know yes it's a competition but I'm also interested to see how those teams interact with each other will they be united or not um <laughs> but Joel I believe you've put down that there's going to be a 250 event in Kazakhstan at the same time so perhaps mm. you'll be off watching that instead <laughs> of the Labour yeah in, in in Astana because uh yeah there are I know there will there will uh, no doubt have listeners who won't be interested in Labour Cup and see it as a glorified exhibition yes I think there are I think it is a you know it's an ATP official event um but uh yes there is a 250 going on that i'm sure we'll uh will be sort of having one eye on as well so um until we get to the labor cup we do have obviously the us open we've got some tournaments before the us open which are kind of happening 
this week. Um, we've got Winston-Salem, which is an ATP 250. Um, now, Winston-Salem isn't Salem, is it? But um, I have to say, if anyone watches uh, or has watched the, you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, I always just think Salem, <laughs> Salem I think the of cat. the cat. But Winston-Salem <laughs> is not in Massachusetts. It's in North Carolina. So it's, it's the other Salem. Um, but yeah, anyway, long aside, we've got uh, PCB headlining that one. Goffan is the second seed. Um, but we've also got uh, Murray and Kyrgios facing off in this one. And we should just say, when we're uh, recording this, they haven't played yet. They're, they're going to be, I think, kicking off in about 90 minutes. But um, we, uh, <laughs> what, I mean, what what do you, th- this, these words, they might bite you on the bum, Joel, but who are you seeing as winning that oh, one? <laughs> that, is, that is a tough one. I, you know, I thought Murray played well in, in Cincinnati, like really well. And I think... I think Winston-Salem will offer similar conditions, you know, be quite hot and humid. I think the court will be quite fast. And to be honest, I feel like that plays into both Murray and Kyrgios's hands. Um, I actually think I've seen the better tennis. Uh, I'm going to hate myself for saying this. I think I've seen the better tennis recently from Kyrgios. But Murray, I think, has been a bit more, it's been able to show, I think, a bit more fight over kind of the, a, a whole match. I think it will come down to a question of whether Kyrgios I think Kyrgios, I would expect him maybe to have a fast start and maybe it would be a case of whether he gets distracted or not mid-match and that might open the door for Murray. Um, but at the moment, I'm seeing I'm seeing Kyrgios as the slight favourite. Yeah, I, I would say Kyrgios is, is the more likely. I think there might be a few tie breaks in there though. Um, and, you know, he, he likes Andy. Maybe he'll he'll give him a set or, <laughs> you know, he, he, he it depends what Kyrgios is going to turn up. Will he, will he care? Will he get aggravated? Um, Dan Evans is also there. Um, Carlos Alcaraz, you know, Benoit Pair, will he, you know, get, get some more wins under his belt? Um, so that's all happening this week. Um, we, we could have Pair Bublik quarterfinal. Uh, sorry, mm. round, third round, which I think uh, would be quite, probably quite fun and end up on on some sort of social media highlight reel. Yeah, I could, I could certainly see that one happening. Um, <laughs> um, and then on WTA Tour, we've got the Chicago 250 event. Uh, we've also got one in Cleveland as well, which is another, well, we'll get onto that in a second. But Chicago, Svitolina is uh, top seed in that one. And Camilla Georgie, second seed. So um, although I think, has she pulled out? We, we're not sure if she's actually doing that one or not. I don't know. I don't know if she's pulled out just oh. yet. Uh, I know there's been some rumours, mm. but yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty good draw. I'm a bit sad. Yeah, I wonder whether yeah Radicanu might be there. You know, she's got, obviously she just played the, the one two five. I was wondering whether they would have given her a wild card or a, maybe a special exemption into uh, the main draw, but that doesn't look like the case. Venus Williams has a wild card. Yeah, yeah. against Suwei Shen in the first round as well. Um, and you've also got Golubic, uh from Switzerland. I was wondering whether she could continue the Swiss winning ways uh, before the, the US Open, see how she responds to uh, Teichman getting to the, the final in Cincinnati. Absolutely. Um, we've also got, yeah, the Cleveland um, WTA event, which has the best name, Tennis in the Land uh, is, is the name. Well, I think they're the sponsor, but it's known as Tennis. It's just known in, as Tennis in the Land. Yeah. Like, tournament love it um which is that better than the winners open i think they're both on a par <laughs> yeah it's it's i mean it's it's just such an odd it feels just an odd phrase for a tournament's name but uh yeah i love it um we've got conta conta is there uh for british kind of interest but um yeah the top two seeds kasakina uh who's taken a wild card and contavit from estonia um again pretty another pretty solid draw um i think it's i'm just looking at conta i think it's an opportunity to her to actually get some proper match wins under a belt before you know running into a, a top seed or a top ranked player really early on she has trevisan of, of italy in the first round uh could face bethany matic sands in the second round i don't you don't often see i feel matic sands with a singles wild card mm. but she does she does here play samson over um, in the first round so um yeah lots of interest there you've got Cerebes Tormo and Podoroska who I think also might be quite dangerous uh that we might we might see I think potentially get to the final I'd expect Kazakina to do quite well um she's mm. been in, in decent form this this week and this is the sort of tournament I expect her to yeah to come through you, you um, expect her to win and then go out in the first round at the US Open yeah, basically. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually had Kazakina as my Wimbledon champion uh, on our predictions. I mean, what 
what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> on that note, we'll be back next week to discuss all the action from Cleveland, uh, Chicago and Winston-Salem. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest tour catch up with The Passing Shot. Make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice to stay up to date on all the action from the United States, including the upcoming US Open. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher. And you can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you want to show your support for the show and uh, you want to help us out make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts and you can follow us on social media we're on facebook instagram and twitter at passing shot pod so do give us a like and a follow if you don't already Um, and you can also contact us via email as well as all those social channels Uh, we do love to hear all your feedback any questions for the mailbag and all your thoughts on what's happening on the atp and wta tours so uh, for email you can get in touch on passingshotpod at gmail.com. Um, and also you can check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ to look forward to the US Open in our draw preview show, which we're going to be doing hopefully on Friday evening, UK time. So I hope you can join us for that. We'll be uh, yeah dissecting the men's and women's draws, also looking back on all the events uh, from this week how will Andy Murray get on how will Nick Kyrgios get on uh, we will soon find out uh, yeah <laughs> the countdown is on but uh, yeah listeners I hope you can join us for that US Open preview episode uh, of course will be collector set as well uh, should be a fun one on Friday evening so I hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon <laughs>